You are listening to WCAT Radio, your station for quality Catholic programming. Your selected program will begin right after a word from our sponsor, GroupM7.com, a web design and hosting company. Log on to GroupM7.com today and let them know that WCAT Radio sent you. You know, my finest childhood memories was the Saturday morning movies for about four bits each. My brother and I could split a Coke and a big box of popcorn and watch movies about Tarzan, Jane, and their Amazon River adventures. Well, maybe that's where Jeff Bezos took his name. His Amazon.com is now the largest online retailer in the world. I'm Michael Malfood with Group M7, the oldest and largest website design firm in East Texas, and here's my point. And as usual, it's a good one. If your website is modern and up-to-date, mobile and search engine friendly, it matters not whether you sell a product or provide information about your goods and services, your sales justifiably will increase just like theirs. The world uses the internet. We can improve your website and your email. Look at our giant portfolio at groupm7.com. Since 1995, there's only one web and there's only one group and it's us. It's Group M7. You're listening to WCAT Radio, your home for authentic Catholic programming. Hello, and welcome to the heart of Fiat Crucified Love. I forgot the microphone's here. I gotta aim it at the microphone. (laughs) This week, we're gonna talk about the eyes and the ears of Jesus. We're gonna talk about his sight and his hearing and how through um, his words that we hear, we can be healed, and how through just his glance and his look at us, how we can be healed and be given life and be called back to authentic love. So I cozied myself up in my living room. It's actually my art and music room. Um, And I didn't want to try to balance a picture in the back corner, because then it can fall. Um, So I have no image of Jesus, but all of my icons have so many beautiful images of his eyes looking at you. So I will pray that I am a reflection of that as I speak, and then um, after we're done, maybe you can go find your favorite image, or you can go on my artist shop page and look at those icons and spend a little time reflecting on that glance, that look of Jesus and his love. And um, we're going to start with a song, actually two songs. I'm going to start with first a real short one that's in Polish. And I always loved it. We have some Polish listeners. And um, the words are touch my mouth that I can um, like proclaim you, Lord. Um, Touch my Oh, sorry, touch my eyes so that I can see. Touch my mouth so that I can give you praise and proclaim you. Touch my heart so that it's purified. And let the Holy Spirit set me on fire. So those are those words. Um, But it's real short. And then I'm going to go right into a song that I used to really love when I was at Notre Dame, you know, 20 some years ago. And it's called Nearer Than Before. And it's about the Lord taking our blindness, taking our darkness, taking our deafness, and helping us to think like him, to see like him, to speak like him, and to love like him, right? It's the most important is to love like him. 
So let's start with that prayer and then we'll go into the podcast. So in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we will be recreated and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Dokni pani moi hochi abim shizel abim shizel Dokni pani moi kvark abib shemuvil uvil bianyem Dokni pani mega serta iochishe. Nikt voi shwenti duch, jisha garniam nie. Dokni pani moi hochi, abim przyżel, abim przyżel. Dokni pani moi kvark, abim przemówil. Uvil bienyem, dokni pani mego serca i ocieszę. Nikt twój święty duch dzisiaj garnia mnie.
my mind when confusion makes me blind come renew me with your truth lord take the hardness from my heart roll away the stone Every day I long for more of you to know and see your face Lord draw me deeper into prayer Every day I want to meet you there Just Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. So, we are going to speak about the eyes and the ears of Jesus. And um, it's something that I have reflected on for years and I actually went back to some old um, journals of mine to find what was written there um, once I started to meditate on this and I thought that the most appropriate um, beginning would be to kind of go through scripture where it talks about Jesus looking or Jesus hearing right and then we'll we'll kind of go on to some more reflections on that that I have written down, and that'll be it, right? <laughs> so we're going to start with the eyes of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus. And this is going to kind of be like a prayerful meditation. Um, and I just, I invite you to you close your eyes if you want. It's probably more beautiful than looking at me. <laughs> I have no holy images around me, right? Um but his eyes in Bethlehem, right? What do you think that first glance was of baby Jesus that looked up at his mama in the stable, in the manger, in Bethlehem? You know, Our Lady had felt that closeness and that oneness with Jesus as she carried him within her womb. But once she gave birth and once she had him in um, her hands, that look of his eyes was something she was going to come to know very well. It's something that would really pierce her heart on Calvary. It's something that would bring her peace when things were unrestful and he would shoot her a look across the crowd or across the room. It was something that was, you know, um, foretold that in heaven, you know, Jesus as the king, as the eternal um, word of God, you know, would would reign with that authority, um, with the power, with that love. Um, and it would be seen in the eyes, 
that he would, you know, the way he would look at us. It says in scripture that the eyes are the lamp of the body. And how much more true was that um, of Jesus? You know, eyes are like the window to the soul. And so that's why when people are ashamed or when they, um, you know, can't handle, say, an emotion that's inside of them, they will avoid looking at you because they know, you know, instinctively, it might not be something in their brain, but they know that if they look at you, that you will be able to see inside of their soul. And, um, and they're not ready for that. Maybe they're not ready for that kind of love. You know, sometimes a sinner will look away or look at the ground, but it's, it's a guilt and they're not ready to receive that forgiveness or that, that love, that generosity, that kindness that you're trying to, to show them. And we think about, you know, those eyes on Calvary that caught our lady's eye, you know, when Jesus and Mary met on the way of the cross. And that was the same look, that same look of purity, of humility, of, um, of majesty that Our Lady saw there in Bethlehem in the infant baby's eyes, right? And there was something else I think that caught, um, that caught John the Baptist when Jesus came to the Jordan and he looked at him, you know, and and he knew that that was, you know, he had lived in the wilderness a long time, but he knew that that was his cousin. He knew that that was the Messiah. And he said, you know, I saw a dove come down on him, but, you know, he did. But in the Song of Songs, it says, you know, my lover, their eyes are like a dove's, right? It was that presence, a dove is a presence of peace. And that look of Jesus was so peaceful that it, he was the Prince of Peace. He could be no one else than the Messiah. I think about the wedding at Cana where Our Lady said there is no wine and you know Jesus said you know woman what is this between us and she says do whatever he tells you there was so much more to that conversation than those few words that were written down their silence spoke and their look spoke right and Jesus looks at us, and that way he looks at us is a way that can, um, that can heal us, that can change us, that can encourage us, that can strengthen us. You know, when, like I said, when there's somebody who's really hurt you um, or done something wrong, they can't look at you in the eye. And yet if we have the courage to look up at Christ in the eye, then his look can call us back to ourselves right? It can kind of, you know, be like an examination of conscience to look at Jesus in his eyes. And in his eyes, we see where we failed him and also where we've pleased him, where we've helped him, where we've loved him. Jesus's eyes heal us and his sight. You know, just one look at his eyes can clear away anything that's, that's human or that's evil or that's, um, that's, fallen or imperfect in our own sight and our own judgment, right? You know, you can't look at the mirror of the eyes of Christ and misjudge um, a situation, right? He is truth. He radiates that in his look. And Jesus, it's important to know, always kept his eyes um, focused on the Father. So many times in scripture, it said he turned his eyes to heaven and he exclaimed, right? Or he prayed. When he prayed, it always says he turned his eyes to heaven. 
And I think that's what enabled him to make it through the way of the cross is he always kept his eyes and his sight on heaven, on God the Father. He didn't look at the people crucifying him. He didn't look at those betraying him, rejecting him, abandoning him, um, you know, ganging up on him. He, he kept, he didn't even look at his own wounds. He kept his eyes looking at the Father and the Father's will. And it's really hard for us to do that, but we're called to imitate him. You know, when you're in a, in a room full of people and, and you know they've betrayed you or you know that, you know, they've been hypocritical about things or not untruthful or, you know, um, it's hard to not be self-conscious, Right. And maybe many of you haven't been in a whole room of that, but you might have been in a situation, you go into a party, you go to a gathering, you go to a church function, whatever it is. And there are people there who may or may not have um, uh, been who God asked them to be to you, right? It could have been people there who you don't like because they've hurt you. But you're called not to look around at that. You're called to keep your eyes on the Father in heaven and to just love, right? And then come what may, you know, they accept you, they reject you, they um, convert, they don't. Um, it's all in the hands of God. And you can keep peace in your heart by imitating Christ, by keeping your look on heaven, right? Or on the cross. You know, the eyes of Jesus um, can be found described in the Song of Songs, right? You know, there are places in that book where they describe the woman or the bride, and then there are places that describe the bridegroom, which would be a symbol of Jesus. And in one such place, it says, how beautiful you are, my friend, how beautiful your eyes are doves. And, you know, later on, it's repeated, his eyes are like doves. What does that mean? It means his eyes are peaceful and they give us peace just by looking at them. It says, he brought me to the banquet hall and his glance at me signaled love. You know, sometimes it's the look that we give someone um, that speaks. And sometimes it's the refusal to look at someone who that also speaks, right? Everything that we do or don't do speaks. Um, in this case, it was the look of Jesus that spoke love to his beloved. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. See, he is standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattices. My lover speaks and says to me, Arise, my friend, my beautiful one, and come. But what is he doing? He's gazing through the windows. He's peering through the lattices. He's looking in love for the beloved. And once she sees that, it gives her the courage to respond. It's, it's really beautiful. The book of Revelation speaks about the eyes of Jesus. And it says, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. So his eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes were like a flame of fire. That's why people avoid the eyes of someone who loves them or who they love. They can't handle that fire of, of divine love between them, right? 
Um, sometimes the love of God is so great, it's almost scary for people, like a fiery look, right? But also, what does fire do? It purifies. So one glance from the eyes of Jesus can purify um, us. And if we look with the eyes of love, the eyes of Christ, we can look upon people and, and they are purified in our presence from our look. Have you ever looked at someone and had them get you know, ashamed or change what they're saying or something, right? Sometimes it's just that presence of God's love in your look that reflects these flames of divine love coming from Christ. It says it again later on in Revelation. His eyes are like a flame of fire right? On his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and his thigh, he has a name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Of course, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to have that look of love that's so powerful, right? And in Isaiah, it says, he grew up like a sapling before him, like a shoot from the parched earth. He had no majestic bearing to catch our eye, no beauty to draw us to him. He was spurned and avoided by men, a man of suffering, knowing pain, like one from whom you turn your face, spurned and we held him in no esteem. You know, it takes a special um, grace to be able to look at Christ who might be hidden in an ordinary appearance, right? It said he is nothing majestic bearing to catch our eye. When he was on earth, when he became incarnate, he didn't have something special, right? Um, but if you had the courage to look him in the eye, those eyes spoke, right? His eyes revealed they were the window to his soul and they were full of love, full of love. Luke 19, it speaks about Jesus's eyes and how his eyes sometimes on earth wept, right? As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if only you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Why was he weeping? Why were his eyes crying? Because people missed the boat. He was trying to give them peace and they wouldn't even look at him. They wouldn't respond. And it brought tears to his eyes. He wept again at the tomb of Lazarus, right? It says that he went. It says that Jesus wept. I love in Jerusalem, the place Dominus Flavit. It's the place where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You can go. And there's something so endearing to me about the tears of Jesus because it's only a heart that loves authentically enough that will allow tears to come to their eyes, right? And again, in John, it talks about Jesus lifting those, those eyes to heaven. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. So it speaks about him lifting his eyes up to heaven. What does Jesus do with his eyes? He keeps them on the father the same way we are called to. 
Jesus's look had such a power. And I want to talk about this because I want you to go then and gaze in the eyes of Jesus, whatever image is your favorite image of him, and ask his look to have power in your life, to call you to repentance, to heal you, to strengthen you, to encourage you. And we're just going to go over some scriptures that shows that power of the look of Christ. One is from Mark, where it says that the rich young man came to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell whatever you have, give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Jesus looked at him with love. That look gave enough power to the rich young man to give up all of his possessions and follow Christ. He rejected that look. Sometimes people who are even close to Christ like he was, don't they reject that look of Christ, whether it's direct or through another person. But that look of love would have healed, would have spoken, would have strengthened, would have changed this man's entire life. When he called Peter, he looked at him with love. In John, it says that Andrew brought him to Jesus, brought Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What was it? Why did scripture say that? Because it was so important for Peter to see into the eyes of Jesus to be able to really know his will, to really receive and hear his call, and then have the courage to follow it. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, then you miss the boat, right? And that same look that called Peter, called Peter back to repentance when he denied Jesus. You know, sometimes people betrayed Jesus the way Judas did. Sometimes people... Um, just abandon Jesus, but sometimes they deny him. And like Peter, they say, I don't know them, right? I don't know her. I don't know him. And it might be Jesus directly. It might be Jesus and another person, but they lie and they deny because they're looking at their own reputation. They're looking at their own fear. They're, you know, they have erroneous judgment. But Jesus calls people back to themselves to be faithful to themselves through that look of love. The look of love he gave Peter called him back. It says after Peter denied Jesus, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter in that one look remembered the word of the Lord and how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus knew that Peter would be unfaithful, but he still loved him. And that love, that look of love was enough to, because Peter was humble, to change Peter. And then Peter, you know, in the resurrection account, was able to declare his love to Christ. You know, in the, another resurrection account, um, Mary Magdalene was weeping at the tomb and all she saw was her own tears. And she was crying and she was looking for Jesus. And he's standing in front of her, but she doesn't recognize him because she's not looking in his eyes. She's not looking at his love. And he calls her and he says, Mary. And when she hears her name, she looks up at him and that look she recognizes. And, you know, um, 
the resurrection is proclaimed to her through that look, right? Sometimes in scripture, Jesus looked at people um, to accentuate a message. And Mark, it says that Jesus looked at the crowd. That doesn't mean that he just like looked at a group of people, but he was looking at hearts. He was looking at each soul that was present there. And then he said, with man it is impossible, with God, nothing is impossible. So he wanted, as he was teaching and giving this message, he wanted to really hone in on the fact that nothing is impossible for God. So he looked at them. But to receive the fullness of that message, they had to respond to his look of love. They had to look back. Again, it says that Jesus stepped ashore in Mark 6 and he saw a large crowd. He looked at their hearts and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he loved them. He began to teach them. He didn't run away from them. He didn't abandon them. He didn't deny them. When he looked on them, he allowed his eyes to be an instrument of love. Again, in Matthew, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. You know, we see people harassed and helpless all around us. And it's easy to be like, well, I'm going to take care of these people over here so somebody else can do that. But it takes a heart truly um, attuned to the call of God to respond the way the Lord wants to each person, even those that might make us uncomfortable. John, um, in the Gospel of John also, when um, Jesus calls Nathaniel, he looks at Nathaniel with love. And that's important. It says, Jesus looked at Nathaniel coming to him. And he said, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That means Jesus didn't just see, you know, tall blonde hair, you know, a, a, a blue and white tunic. Jesus looked, but in Jesus's look, he looks at the heart, right? It says that earlier in scripture about, um, you know, when David was anointed king, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at appearance because the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus always looked at the heart. Of the people around them. He saw pride. He saw competition. He saw genuine love. And he saw in Nathaniel a man with no deceit. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I looked at you. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe, you will see greater things than these. You know, when two people fall in love, sometimes they just look at each other, right? Like there's no words, they're almost speechless because of their love. And, you know, that might be um, romantic love, but the same kind of idea um, can be in, you know, family love. And you think about a mother in those first moments holding their baby. There's not much she wants to say, right? That's the way that Jesus' powerful love wants to speak to us and through us. That, you know, he wants to gaze at us in love and he wants us to look back at him in love. Sometimes he wants us to fill a room just by having so much love come out of us that people around us don't know what to say. 
again, Jesus healed somebody. He looked at a man lying there. And he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. And he said, do you wish to be well? Then he healed him. The first thing Jesus did was look at him and love. Sometimes Jesus called people to repentance with a look. You know, after looking around at them with anger in Mark 3, grieved at their hardness of heart. We grieve over people's hard hearts. Jesus grieves over it all the more. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. In this case, he was looking not so much to give strength and courage to the man that was going to be healed, but to correct the hard-hearted people surrounding him, right? His look was actually full of anger, but it was a righteous anger. It was the kind of anger that a parent has when their child is being really naughty and might be hurting another sibling, another person. It's a look of anger full of love that wants to correct in order to heal. And then again, I already mentioned, but that look when Jesus was on the cross and he saw his mother, right? When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby the cross, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. It began with a look. He saw them and it inspired him to unite their hearts because he saw a need in his mother and a need in John. And he's like, you two would be good together, right? She needs support. She needs love and a son, right? And she, he looked at John and thought, you need a mama. Sometimes God unites people in marriage. I was at a wedding yesterday and he so beautifully can, you know, united my niece and her new husband. Sometimes he unites people in a friendship. Think about Benedict and Scholastica, you know? Think about, you know, even um, uh, St. Ignatius and, of Loyola and St. Francis Xavier. You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's two men or two women. Sometimes it's a man and a woman. Sometimes it's a brother and a sister, Benedict and Scholastica. You know, sometimes it's Mary and Joseph. That's a marriage, but it's a pure and holy marriage that didn't have conjugal love. But sometimes it's just the look of Jesus, looking at one, looking at the other, and making them look at each other that can unite their hearts for a good, right? Our eyes are so important. We have to be careful what we do with our eyes because they, um, they can be the source of sin if you gaze on something that's impure or they can be a way of even uniting other people together that are around you, right? When you don't look in jealousy, but you look in um, encouragement, right? Or in compassion, generosity, and love. In Luke um, 6 also, it says that Jesus turned his gaze toward his disciples. He looked at them in love and then he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. And he gave that teaching of the Beatitudes. The teaching of the Beatitudes began in Luke 6 verse 20 with Jesus looking at the people. He was looking at them to... Um, to see their hearts. He was looking at them to call their attention kind of to something that was important. Um, 
He was looking at them to open their hearts in love. When somebody looks at you in love, it opens your heart to what they're going to say. Jesus also um, not only looks at us with love, but he wants to then extend it so that we can look like him. That we can, you know, it says that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ and think like Christ. All the more we're supposed to use our eyes to look like Christ at other people, right? And when, when we're blind by this world, you know, that song says, Lord, heal the blindness of my eyes. When we're blind to the love of God, when we're blind to the right way of relating with other people, then Jesus comes to heal our blindness. And he did that in John 9. It says that as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So first he looked at the blind man. His disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, said he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents sinned. It's so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who sent me while it's still day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So we went and washed and came back, came back able to see. So Jesus looks at this blind man with love. The blind man couldn't see him. But that look, if it's a window of your eyes or the window to the soul, then that means just by looking, you're allowing that grace of the Holy Spirit of love to come out of your eyes and reach those who are around you, right? Even if they don't see you looking. Sometimes when you look, it can just be a prayer. It can be looking at a, a crucifix or it can be looking at another person. And that look is a prayer more than any words you can say. In this case, Jesus looked at him and then he went and he put his spit on his eyes and he healed the man's blindness. He not only wanted to look at him with love, but he wanted that man to, to be able to look with love on other people, to partake in that gift. And lastly, Jesus said in scripture later on in that chapter of John, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and so that those who see will become blind. So see, Jesus wants to heal our sight. He wants to help us to see as he sees. He wants us to have a, a, um, a holiness in our vision, right? So he looks at us with holiness, and then he lets us partake in that. But when we're hard-hearted and we're you know, closed to responding to his love with love, then we become blind. And that's when people make mistakes. They make bad judgments in situations because they're not looking with love as Jesus did, right? Then we come to Jesus's, well, um, yeah, then we come to Jesus's ears. This is a little bit shorter. And I just like to meditate on um, what, how God used the sense of hearing with Jesus. What was the first sound that Jesus ever heard in the, after the incarnation? It was the heartbeat and the breath of his mother. He was inside of her womb. When he was born, he heard the, the sound of angels singing in the heavens. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people of goodwill. 
As he was growing up, he would hear his mother sing. He would hear the hammer that Joseph would use in carpentry. I wonder on the, on the you know, top of Calvary when they were crucifying him. They had him put his hands out and he heard that bang and that bang and the hammer. Did he think of Joseph? I'm sure. Because sounds can bring us back to memories very quickly. He always kept his heart listening to the voice of the Father in heaven. In his baptism at the beginning of his ministry, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You know, it's important for children to be encouraged by their parents. It's important for all of us, even adults, to be encouraged by other people. To have them ask, you know, about our lives and to encourage us, right? That's what friends do. So what siblings should do, um, you know, to listen and then to encourage people. And the father in heaven knew that and he encouraged his son, Jesus. He said, you are my beloved son and I am well pleased with you. In Mark 11, it's the same thing where it says a voice came from the heavens saying, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Luke describes it a little bit more in detail and says, after all the people had been baptized and Jesus had been baptized and was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily form like a dove. So, you know, it was in the prayer of Jesus that he heard that voice from heaven in his heart, but everyone else around it heard it, right? That's why they've recorded it. The same thing happened at the transfiguration. Jesus took James and John and Peter and went up on the mountain to pray. And he was talking with Elijah and Moses, transfigured in light, all about the coming passion. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. And from that cloud came a voice, which was his father's, that said again, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's what the Father says to us. Are we listening to Jesus? We're supposed to use our hearing the same way he did, which means to listen to the voice of God. You know, Jesus could be the one speaking there in Isaiah 50, where it says, you opened my ear that I could hear and I will not turn back, right? The Father wants to open our ears from deafness so that we can hear like Christ hears. When you listen to a conversation or another person speaking, you can listen to them through the lens of your own pride and judgment, vanity, suspicion, jealousy. Or you can listen to them with love that gives them life, that actually offers healing and encouragement and peace and joy as you're listening to them. Jesus wants us to be able to listen and he wants us to listen to God, but then also to each other the way he did. And that's why in Mark 7, he healed a deaf man. He wanted that man to be able to hear not only God in heaven, but other people, right? It says, again, he left the district of Tyre and went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the district of the Decapolis. And people brought to him a deaf man who had a speech impediment. 
and begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him off by himself away from the crowd, put his finger into the man's ears, and spitting, touched his tongue. So again, he's using his spit to heal. He healed the man's eyes through his spit. Now he's using something bodily of his body in a man's ears. Can you imagine a priest coming up and spitting on you in order to heal, hear your mouth or your eyes or your ears? But that's what Jesus did. When he looked up, and how much more can we be healed? Because we not only have him spit on us, he puts his blood within us in the Eucharist. But then Jesus looked up to heaven. So again, he's looking, right? He groaned and he said, Epitha, that is be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened. His speech impediment was removed. He spoke plainly. He ordered them not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. They were exceedingly astonished and they said, he has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You know, this isn't the only time Jesus healed. He heard um, the prayers of other people too on the way. Th that sense of hearing was so important. He'd be traveling along the road and he'd hear someone say, you know, Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me. Have pity on me, a leper. You know what? And he'd come and he'd say, What do you want? And they'd say, I want to see. Or I have leprosy. I want to be healed. My child has died. Come heal them. God the Father used that sense of hearing to fulfill his will in Christ. And Jesus wants us to have a purified, not only eyes and judgment in our brain that comes through, you know, the way that we look, but through our ears, through what we hear, right? He wants us to keep our ears clear of gossip, of, um, of, yeah, of things that are not of God, things that are not pure and holy and true, right? So we see here how Jesus uses um, both his sight and his hearing to heal us and how he wants to help us to see and to hear as he does, right? So I just noticed when I put this camera up, you can see kind of part of the um, the stool here. I hope that doesn't, I'm not re-recording this. <laughs> so I have one more thing to read here, but I'm going to try to fix this. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to just scoot it up a little bit. There we go. That's the way it should have been this whole time. <laughs> oh, well. Um, but I want to read a little reflection on eyes on the eyes of Jesus. I don't have one on the ears of Jesus. But I want you to kind of close your eyes even if you want and um, and imagine Jesus speaking to you, right? Jesus says to us, my eyes are the place that you find my spousal love for you. As you look into them, you see my strength, my purity, my gentleness, my understanding, my care, my life-giving love. As you find these gifts within my eyes, they begin to change you. So when you look at Jesus' purity, you become pure, right? And he says that. As you see my strength, you become strengthened. 
As you see my purity, you become purified. As you gaze at my gentleness, you become gentle. As you contemplate my understanding, you come to know and understand my heart better as well. As you see my care, you begin to trust me more and to care for others. As you see my life-giving love, you are filled and transformed to be a tool for this love, to flow into the whole world. The love, strength, and power that you meet with in my eyes should help you to trust me all the more. When you look at my love like this, you receive the grace that you need to follow my Father's will. You know, when you feel too weak to do the will of God, look at Jesus looking at you in love. When you look at my eyes and where they are looking, you learn how and where your eyes should look as well. My eyes contain an endless ocean of love for you. Look into them and you will find truth. And yet I've invited you to contemplate and unite with my crucified eyes on the cross. The closer you draw to my suffering eyes, the more different will be the ways that you encounter their beauty. Instead of seeing endless light, you will see my darkness. Instead of receiving my great joy, you will share my sorrow and my pain. Instead of finding purity, you will see the sin of the world, the sin which I came to take away. Instead of finding great love, I will share with you my suffering of abandonment, aloneness, emptiness, and the hatred of so many that they have for me their loving Savior. Instead of receiving my understanding, you will share my confusion and darkness. There are so many gifts that I wish to offer you from my eyes on the cross. And these gifts may pierce your heart open, but they will also enable you to be so close to and one with your crucified spouse, your beloved. And Jesus wept. And so, yes, I wept on earth many times. I wept in the night as I prayed, and I wept in the day as people watched. Yet I always cried as a little child on the chest of my father in trust. I always knew where to cry, to whom to entrust my tears, so that they would be a powerful prayer that would transform the world. I cried as a man on earth over the sin of my people, and I cried as their God, my heart pierced open by their cruelty and indifference to love. My brothers and sisters had been created in the divine image, in the image of my heart, my father's heart, my spirit's heart, and the love that we shared. And yet they destroyed this goodness and sin. And so I cried. I cried for them as my human heart suffered with them. And I also cried to save them. Bathe yourself in my tears of blood and love. Open yourself up totally, vulnerable underneath their shower, and drink fully of their gifts. My tears are such a powerful gift for this world. And yet so many fail 
to see their beauty? Do you look at the tears of Jesus? Do you look at his eyes? It's one thing to look at them in that book of Revelation where they're majestic with the fire of love. Do you look at them crucified on the cross? Do you have the courage to respond to his love of crucified eyes, a crucified gaze? And yet the tears and blood that streamed from my eyes and my passion were not the most painful sufferings that my eyes endured. I also suffered a great thirst in my eyes when all my tears were dried up and all had abandoned me. My heart cried out loudly to my father for mercy, but my eyes ceased to flow. It is such a pain to the heart to feel an emotion so greatly and to have no way to express it. Because my eyes had no tears left, my heart yearned to burst forth tears, releasing my pain inside. And indeed, only after my death, my father allowed my heart to be pierced as a sign to my people of my great love for them. My heart cried when my eyes no longer could. This was the way I cried in the midst of the darkness on the cross. When my heart felt totally abandoned by my father's great love and lost in darkness and sin, I cried out tearlessly, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And my eyes grew dim from trouble, as it says in Psalm 88. As I looked out from the cross, all I saw was hatred, mockery, suffering, abandonment, loneliness, cruelty, misjudgments, darkness, misunderstanding, confusion, and sin. And yet this was not important. All that was important to me on the cross was my father's great love for me, which I could not feel or see or know, but in which my heart believed and his great plan of love to save humanity who had wandered away from him in sin. His will was all that mattered. The conquering of his love living in my heart, a love so powerful regardless of what hatred surrounded it, was all that mattered. My fiat and trust in him, who was the beloved of my heart, although I could not see him holding me close to his heart, was all that mattered on the cross. Not the people, not the suffering, not the seeming senselessness, none of that mattered. All that mattered was the conquering of love in fiat. And so I looked to my father in faith and I waited, trusting for him to deliver me from the depths of death. It's so beautiful because that's actually what I just said a little earlier, but here it is again, right? Such suffering I endured in the passion changed my face of great heavenly beauty and light to a face of darkness and horror. So marred was my look beyond that of man, my appearance beyond that of mortals. My face, which had once shone like the sun on Mount Tabor, was now disfigured, the face of a man of suffering, one of those from whom men hide their faces, spurned and held in no esteem. But you must remember what true beauty is. True beauty does not come from soft colored skin or silky healthy hair or a fit body. True beauty comes only from the heart, from a heart full of the Father's presence of love. 
Love creates beauty. Only love. And because my heart was perfectly and completely full of love, my ugly face on Calvary actually shone a hidden heavenly beauty to the world. Yes, love creates beauty. My fiat love on the cross is a source of beauty. For there on the cross with my fiat love, I repaired all ugliness that sin had thrown upon creation. Look at all of creation. Everything that my Father created in nature is so good and beautiful, and it's only because it came from his heart overflowing with perfect divine love. And although in sin, humanity disordered it, in my cross, I brought the possibility of perfect order back to the world. Glorify my Father by being beautiful, but be beautiful in love, a love that surrenders to his will and design for everything in your life. You must remember that. Your beauty will come only from my love living within you. Jesus wants to make us beautiful by his look. He gazes at us as the most beautiful beloved that he could ever have. But it's a beauty we're supposed to radiate that comes from love, right? You can take care of your body as the precious earthen vessel to carry my great love into the world. But know that you will only be the beauty I desire you to be when you are totally emptied of yourself and totally filled with my fiat love from the cross. The deeper you enter my darkness, the more my beauty of light and love will shine from you to others in the world. You are to be a mirror, simply a reflector of our beauty. You know, the eyes are the mirror of the soul. So the more that the Trinity comes to live in our soul, we're a mirror of the Trinity and the beauty that comes from the Trinity and their love, the love they share together. You are called to be very beautiful, bright st stars in this world, but only in so that you are a beautiful star glowing forth, not yourself, but my love. Surrender once more to my hands reaching out to you. Collapse in my holy eyes look of love. Allow Jesus to look at you. A look of love that created you, that redeemed you, that cares for you as my beloved and child. Let my eyes see all for you, do all for you, even fiat in love for you, as they remain fixed on my Father's heart in heaven, even faithfully looking to him through faith when all is dark and seemingly hopeless on the cross. And rejoice, remember that someday, these eyes that you gaze into, my eyes scarred and wounded by love, someday will be transformed as they were in the resurrection, and you will go from drinking my suffering love from their look to drinking my heavenly banquet from their look. Look to me always for everything you need. Fiat, rejoice, and let me rejoice in you. Be satisfied, happy, and thankful to my Father for such a beautiful life that he has created in and for you.
May that my Alleluia from the cross be your blessing. So that is our reflection on the eyes and the ears of Jesus, right? On him looking at us with love, on him healing and repairing our vision, on him speaking to us in love. What did, and, and you know, our reflection on what he listened to, how he listens to us. You know, if a baby breathes differently in their sleep, the mother is so attuned to them in love, she knows. How much more when our hearts cry to Jesus, does he, um, you know, not ignore us. He hears every cry of your heart. And he's looking at you with love and he's calling you forth to healing, to encouragement, to strength. He wants to help you through your eyes and your ears to be filled with his love so you can become the saints that he desires you to be. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Thank you and God bless you. The mission of Holy Apostles College and Seminary is to form faithful witnesses of Christ. Year after year, the prestigious Newman Guide has recommended Holy Apostles for our academic excellence and steadfast fidelity to the magisterial teachings of the Catholic Church. We are also fully accredited and the leader in Catholic online learning. Our students enjoy the unsurpassed flexibility to study on their own time and anywhere in the world through asynchronous engagement. Holy Apostles is dedicated to the relentless pursuit of truth, which allows students in all academic programs, including undergraduate, graduate, and personal interest, to formulate a coherent worldview based on both faith and reason. The study of the liberal arts also develops and refines key competencies associated with career readiness, such as critical thinking and problem solving, clear communication, collaboration, and a strong work ethic. The tuition rate at Holy Apostles is one of the most affordable in the country. Yearly tuition for a full-time undergraduate is under $12,000. Students at Holy Apostles can graduate with minimal or even no college debt, which enables them to live out their calling as faithful witnesses of Christ without heavy financial burdens holding them back. Please visit www.holyapostles.edu forward slash admissions for more information. The fall 2021 admissions deadline is Friday, July 23rd. Classes start Monday, August 30th. See you soon. Hello, God's beloved. I'm Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, and host of Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. I invite you to listen in and find inspiration along this sacred journey we're traveling together to make our lives a masterpiece and, with God's grace, become saints. Join me, Annabelle Mosley, for Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. God bless you. Remember, you're never alone. God is always with you.
Thank you for listening to a production of WCAT Radio. Please join us in our mission of evangelization. And don't forget, love lifts up where knowledge takes flight.